0: Lance Lumen has been a professional performer for over 35 years and a voiceover and on-camera performer for over 25 years. After doing theater and film in New York City for nine years, he came to the Washington Mid-Atlantic market in 1990. Since then, he has narrated hundreds of programs for National Geographic alone, numerous programs for Discovery, PBS, both Frontline and Nova, and as a network announcer on CBS for the Kennedy Center Honors. The program he narrated entitled Five Years on Mars won an Emmy for Best Science Documentary and he narrated National Geographic's Super Pride, which also won a national Emmy. In television, he won an Emmy for his work on the PBS live comedy series Crabs As a director, Lance won the Best Production category in the Baltimore Playwrights Festival Awards for his production of Snow and broke attendance records for his productions of Noises Off at Harbor Theater and The Runner Stumbles at the Ellicott Theater. Lance was executive producer and co-creator for a children's television program entitled Duddy's Dynamite Digs. Though the finished program is still in development, the show's pilot entitled Going to Camp, can be viewed on YouTube. Lance also teaches both voiceover techniques and narration techniques for the Washington Baltimore SAG-AFTRA Conservatory. He is a graduate of the University of North Carolina School of the Arts. You can find out more about Lance on his website lumenvoices.com and more about the musical Brilliance at the website musicalbrilliance.com. Welcome Lance. Thank you. Thank you very much. Delighted to be here. I am very delighted that you are here. This is going to be a very interesting conversation. So um, one of the first things that's I got to get out of the, the gate, first of all, is when did art enter your life?
1: Well, my parents were both actors. So um, probably before I can remember, before I could give you an actual date, um, we were being drugged to dinner theaters. And while my parents went and did the after show drinks in the bar we played with the dog the, whose name was bear it was a black labrador and my sister and i chased him around the tables at the uh, dinner theater and ate sugar out of packets i remember <laughs> no one was looking um and um so we did that for a long time and all my life pretty much I thought I don't want to do what they they're doing because it struck me as a monumental lack of imagination to go into the same same field as my parents were in but as I went through school it turned out that the only things that really went well for me in public school were when I was on stage and um so when my parents told me that I had to go to college I said um I think I'm gonna take a break and find myself. And my dad said, yeah, you can find yourself at college. And (laughs) I said, okay, is there a college that does theater? And since my dad had run a community theater called Corner Theater, which was very La Mama from back in the day when, you know, Sam Shepard was doing really cutting edge stuff and they did some really, really pushing the envelope kind of things. the most brilliant lighting designer that he had ever known who actually did a lighting plot in entirely candles um, for a show, but they couldn't do it because of fire codes. but it was brilliant, my father said. Um, this guy had gone to North Carolina School of the Arts and that's where he'd heard of that. And there, were, there weren't there were many of those you know, at the time, really. Um, this is a long time ago, you understand, back in the old days. And um, so, he asked several schools about, you know, whether or not I could audition or whatever, get involved. And the school of arts set up an audition for me, and they didn't tell him that it was a serious audition. Um, so the way he presented it to me was, uh, this is just to figure out where you are. You know, if you can pay the tuition, you go to the school. That's what he said. So that's what I thought was true. And we went there, and everybody looked like they were going to get gassed in the room. They were all standing around looking like they were just going to hurl any moment. And I was thinking, what's wrong with these people? We're just being put into groups, you know? So I was not nervous at all. So I did the audition. And um, afterwards, we were getting a tour of the school. And at one point, the guy kept saying if he gets in the school. And my father, it turned out, wasn't kidding around at all. And he said, you keep saying if he gets in the school, I mean, what are the chances of getting in the school? He said, I, I, it's different every year, I guess. I think last year there were like 600 people auditioned. They pick about 30. I said, I want to go home right now. <laughs> so, I mean, we were in North Carolina to do the audition. We went back to the hotel and in the middle of dinner afterwards, my dad said, well, I think we can let kiss off at least 200 of those people, it's people that never were any good. Nobody bothered to tell them they weren't any good. I said, that leaves 400. So I guess guess we left there pretty much sure that, you know, that wasn't going to happen. And my father said after a few days, I'm going to be disappointed if you don't get into school of the arts and that's okay, but I'm going to let myself be disappointed. And then I got in much to all of our surprise. And then I just pretty much like lived my life like water running downhill. You know, you run into something and you move over here and then you run into something else and you move over here and. And then suddenly you're in New York City doing, you know, regional theater and looking for an agent. That's pretty much how it all started.
0: Okay. So you're from North Carolina.
1: No, I'm from Maryland. So when I said I wanted to go home, I kind of meant the hotel. Ah. And I was also nervous about the fact that the entire family came to North Carolina with me to have me audition for this, you know, which I thought was a certain level of pressure that I didn't really... Wasn't really looking forward to. Um, So I kind of discovered songwriting and music in school. Uh, My fellow classmates showed me how to play instruments, piano and guitar, if you never had a lesson. And um, I got really into that at the time. And when I graduated, I thought about maybe just concentrating on music. I didn't do just that. I did all kinds of different things.
0: And that kind of just kept branching out and and you just, you found music and did you have, did you have a period where you were focusing more on music or were you always kind of doing everything?
1: Well, we were always kind of doing everything, seeing what was going to, what was going to, you know, take, you know, what was going to take off. And um, we got a little bit of all of that, you know, so we would get gigs and we would go do them and, um when we left New York we and we, we went to Los Angeles for a while and and um neither one of us liked Los Angeles because we've been to New York for too long. It's pretty much the polar opposite of of Los Angeles. We knew we were gonna have to leave New York because Kristen didn't want to live in New York anymore. She just didn't like living in New York. My wife, and um at that point we were married and so we talked about. Nashville, I I think I had talked to Jerry about this the other night, we talked about going to Nashville and committing to music, or going to Baltimore, Washington and committing more to to the the theater acting thing, because all of my musician friends in in Baltimore that I knew from where, that's where I grew up. I grew up just about seven miles outside of Baltimore, and um, they all said, if you're going to be a musician, you either go north or south, but don't stay here there's nothing nothing happening with music here. So we kind of knew that that wasn't going to continue. Um, but we did. We ended up playing out uh, we became a house band at one of the places and we played every weekend there for a while, for a long time. Until so we got tired of being our own what are they called grips, you know, moving the equipment up and down the stairs and stuff like that. We got eventually that got tiring and we were like, okay. At one point my wife said too old for this i'm like yeah i hear you so um and i fell into voiceover which is a really a nice niche to be in um but I, I have to tell a real quick wonderful story about a great educator who was my high school drama teacher the very first play that i got in in high school i was a sophomore and my parents had read the play it was anything goes and they said the funniest best part in this show is Moonface martin you should audition for Moonface martin they told me So I auditioned for Moonface Martin and it was very clear that a junior who was a year ahead of me um, just beat the living daylights out of me at the audition. I mean, it's just so much better, just way better. And I came home and told my parents, I didn't get that. He was way better. That's that. This theater thing is not happening for me. And that night, the drama teacher who knew my parents called my mother and said, Joe Collins was better than Lance at today at the audition t- t- today. And my mom said, "Yeah, I know. Lance told me." And he said, she she paused for a second and said, "But I don't think if I give this part to Joe Collins, it will change his life. And I think if I give this to Lance, it will." And by God she did and it did. And I hats off to her because she did it just for my own well-being you know not the not the betterment of the play which i thought was really terrific
0: yeah yeah in casting um i don't know i have i have friends colleagues that think casting is never an issue whatsoever they have a really easy time with it and when i've done casting it's been an arduous jigsaw puzzle um, because you're playing with so much potential chemistry and how the story can really unfold me too. I have the yes. same problem,
1: and, and I also put a lot of pressure on myself when I cast because it's in my mind. If you mess up the casting, that's it, you know. But if you don't mess up the casting, you can mess up all kinds of things, and the cast will fix it because they're in the right roles, exactly. And they're, you know, and that's what you got to have.
0: And that I, I'm going to try to leave brilliance to the side for now, but I will say mm-hmm. that that you know what you've done with brilliance, I mean, just there's some perfection in your casting
1: Um, thank you very much thank you it was you know it took a long time i'm sure um um, because we were really trying to get it right (laughs) and i think we did so i'm really happy about that
0: so before we do get to to brilliance i just want to backtrack Mm -hmm. a little bit so you you talked about your your band playing in uh baltimore did you just do music when you were down there or did you do some acting there
1: I did as I as we've talked about before I did a, a few a few shows um, but they had the, the thing about the, that that particular market is it's the largest market that allows the professional the small professional theater contract which is not a living wage by any means and so I mean if you look at the DMV on paper with all the equity theaters you go oh this is a big theater town but it's not because none of those theaters pay a living wage even close. And so I'd come from New York where I'd been making a living doing theater. And so I thought I might be able to do that, but it became really evident really early that this is gonna have to be side work. You know, I can't, I can't. This, there are people who are making livings doing it, but they're teaching. They 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 work it so they're overlapping so they're doing a show by day and rehearsing um uh, uh, rehearsing by day and doing a show at night and getting both paychecks and you know just and they was very poor <laughs> very poor so um I had twins pretty much soon after I got to uh, to the market and um it came became clear that theater wasn't going to cover the family and take care of it so we started doing non broadcast industrial films which you're not going to become famous for. But, you know, if McDonald's wants to make a film about how to clean the milkshake machine, they make a little video about it, you know, and so, and in those days, when I first started there, everything that was happening was happening union, it was a union town. And that is not the case anymore, which is, I've learned in my national service with sag after is the case all across the country, I mean. But at that time, I remember I was doing a scan furniture commercial. We were waiting in the dark for the scan store to open. And the producer said to me, there's nobody in this town that'll work non-union. I've never met a market this big that has no non-union people. And I'm like, well, that's a good thing. (laughs) That's a good thing as far as I'm concerned. And um, she said, it's just odd. It's very odd. But that went away. Now we got lots of it.
0: Yeah. So you mentioned... Your twins. I'm assuming that uh, finding the mother came before having the kids. So, mm-hmm. how did you and when did you meet your wife?
1: Well, we knew each other in school. We were both involved with other people, um, but I had seen her in shows. She did not live on campus, so I, I my my actual connection with her was very brief and fleeting and occasional. And I would, but I knew who she was because I'd seen her in plays. We were all sort of required to see everything that happened. So I saw all her shows, she saw all my shows. So she knew who I was and I knew who she was. And um, we actually ran into each other after we'd, we'd both graduated and were in New York. And her boyfriend from college, who was no longer her boyfriend, was a sword fighting friend of mine from her class. And we were at the West Bank Cafe actually, and I was leaving and he was at the bar. And I said, hey man, what you doing? And he said, sit down have a drink with us. And I just wiped out. I had a dinner with a friend and we like used pennies to pay the whole thing. So I had no money at all. And I was going home and I said, I don't have any money, man. He said, sit down, I'll buy you a drink. So he started buying me drinks and she showed up later. And um, we started talking about what we were, what we were both doing now in the city. And she was working at RCA records and had a book full of lyrics. And I had a bunch of cassettes with music on it that didn't have any lyrics and I said, we should maybe talk about collaborating. And so I walked her home. She didn't live but a few blocks from the West Bank Cafe. And I walked her home that night and she gave me her book of lyrics, which she said, is like giving somebody your journal. I don't know why I did that, (laughs) but she said she did. And um, so I went home and about two weeks later, I called her up and said, I had a song that I'd written, put some music to, and I wanted to get together and play it for her. And that's when we started dating and fell in love. And um, I guess that was 83 and we got married in 86.
0: It's interesting how collaboration, I, I feel, is where genius is found. You know, you, you can find things in others and they can find things in you that you couldn't just produce on your own.
1: Yeah, I think the alchemy of, of of bringing people together and then what comes out being greater than the sum of its parts is the most exciting thing you can do. And somebody said to me at one point, um, shortly after I started this whole process, they said, "Well, if you love collaboration, there's nothing more collaborative than musical theater, because one person really can't do it. Usually, you know, it's just so many. There's so many aspects of it. So you're really counting." on other people to have you know share the same vision and not take it somewhere where it's not supposed to and again we got really lucky with that on this one
0: yeah so when um i'm assuming that after you and your wife before she was a wife when you met and you started writing um that more more music was being written by the two of you long before brilliance became was even a, a glimmer in your eyes so Yeah. How much, how much practice did the two of you have in writing and scoring and all of this before brilliance came about?
1: Well, we've been, we were in the process actually of writing, of of building up our catalog. You know, we started writing together and, and, and playing for everybody, anybody who came over the house, man, they knew we were going to, at some point, pull out a guitar and sit out and start singing to them. Um, So, we were working on that catalog and she had that same book full of lyrics. And I would sit down sometimes and mess around on the piano the way they taught me in school that you don't have to, you know, it's just basically cording and fingering, you know, the chords. And um, so I started, came up with this idea and went over and looked through her book and found this song called, When Will It Be Morning? And I sat down and started playing around with that And then she heard that I was messing with one of her tunes. So she came up and started making suggestions. And by the time we were done and had it recorded, we're listening to it and we're going, well, it sounds like it's from a musical. (laughs) Um, And she said, yeah, it really does. That's kind of crazy. And I said, well, you know, we have a song that sounds like it's from a musical. Somebody says, hey, you got something that sounds like it's from a musical? We'll pull this out. In the meantime, we'll just put it on a shelf. So I didn't think we would pull it out again or do anything with it again and a couple of weeks later she was walking home and she was walking by an old bookstore and it had those table with all the used books on it you know and she was just kind of looking at the titles as she walked by and she saw one that said will there really be a morning which was literally a line from when will it be morning so she walked over to it and picked it up and it was the autobiography of francis farmer now this was not long after Jessica Lange had just come out with a movie, Francis. So we knew who Francis Farmer was, certainly. And she brought the book home and said, a musical based on the life of Francis Farmer. And I said, fantastic idea. And what we did then was started to write songs. We did what songwriters do, right? We started to write songs that would go in a musical about Francis Farmer. And we started to research Francis Farmer. And as we read, we would write another song. This could be in the thing. And we were just putting them in, in a folder marked musical that's the musical about Francis Farmer that someday will have a life and many years went by doing that Isaac many <laughs> an embarrassing amount of years went by and in 2008 we were working on one of our albums it was being produced in Vancouver Canada and we got up there and Kristen said I want to do the I want the last song to be no windows and I said um I think No Windows is from the musical, the um, folder with the musical. We can't do that. She said, there isn't going to be a musical. And I got that. I was like, okay, I get that. It's been a lot, a lot of years. You're probably right. Okay, go ahead and do it. So we did it. And I didn't think about it again until two years later, one of my colleagues at an award ceremony said, hey, man, I just bought your album. God, that last song. It sounds like some 11 o'clock number from some super dramatic musical. And I was like, that's what it was supposed to be. Um, So at that point I thought maybe, maybe we should try to do this but I don't know how to even start, you know? And then Kristen's mother got sick. She is from North Carolina. So she went down to North Carolina to take care of her mother. And it was 2016 by that point and I was stuck because I do a lot of political, a huge, huge percentage of my work is uh, political advertising. So when that happens, it usually starts around the middle of July and it just gets steadily busier all the way up to election day. And they don't say, what are you doing on Tuesday or next friends? They call up and say, what are you doing right now? So you find something to do that you can stop at any given moment during political season, and you just sort of work on that on the side, and then when they call you, you go to the studio, do a job, and you go back to doing what you do. Now, I was totally alone because Kristen went down, the kids were all in college, and I'm alone here at the studio, and I thought, well, instead of a woodworking project, I'm just going to attempt to write the book for this musical about Francis Farmer. so I got out all the books and reread them, um, and then just started doing that instead of the woodworking project on the side.
0: You say you yeah. got out of the books and reread them, how long had it been?
1: Oh, we started reading them in the late 80s. So it was 30 years or so. So I wanted to remind myself of all of the, you know, that stuff. You know, one of the things that I realized after I reread it was there's a lot of conflicting stories about what really happened here. So it's very, very difficult to nail down what really did. But it was very helpful to me when um, I met her nephew and he started talking about his his grandmother. Um, And that made a big difference in in the way that book eventually got written because we were trying desperately not to make the mother, Francis's mother, just a monster, just a two-dimensional monster, you know, but a three-dimensional person who was trying but making maybe not the best decisions.
0: Did you say in rehearsal today that... um... I thought you had said you, you spoke to him after you were already working on this production, or was that before?
1: After I had known him for four years, I found out that he was Francis Farmer. Yeah. What happened was I I was talking to uh, Jeffrey Michael Kaufman, who is by most, almost all accounts, the expert on Francis Farmer. He has delved into every record. He lives in Seattle. He is really, really, he knows everything about it. And, um, he had written an article about how bad Shadowland was, which was one of the biographies that William Arnold wrote. And it was very dramatic and I was gonna use a lot from it. So when he talked about how bad it was, I immediately started reading that article and now all the things that are wrong in it, it just goes on and on. And at the end he put his little email address little email address i mean his email address and i i sent him an email thinking that's probably not really his email address and it was and we started going back and forth and at one point i answered one of his questions on a computer of mine that had the sag after president of the mid-atlantic on there and he said are you president of sag after mid-atlantic i'm thinking what does this have to do with francis yes i am and he said do you know the president of the hawaii local and I said, David Farmer, yeah, I've known him for four years. And he said, David Farmer is Francis Farmer's nephew, and my brain exploded. I was like, what? <laughs> that was just unbelievable to me because you know, Farmers are pretty. Never even occurred to me, you know. So, um, I called him up immediately and said, Why didn't you tell me you're Francis Farmer's nephew? And he said, I didn't know you cared. <laughs> so he had a lot to offer he, he i mean he he spent the summer one year when he was 17 years old in her apartment stayed with her he said she came and woke him up out of bed made him cry 17 he said she was a scary aunt she was scary and she got really drunk when she got drunk she got really drunk and got really mean when she did was so he said as i had as as when I was getting the life rights, my agent finally said, go get the life rights. I thought I'll call David. So I called David and he, we met at the at the convention and we were talking about it. And he and he said, um, try not to make her a martyr, he said, because you know what? She made her bed. She made that. She created that situation. And I said, martyrs might sell a few more tickets, though, just a little bit of a martyr, <laughs> you know, might uh, maybe a little bit.
0: Yeah, I wonder, um, having watched Francis with Jessica Lange, and I know that that was heavily fictional, Seattle being where she she came from, Kurt Cobain for Nirvana wrote a song called Francis Farmer Will Have Her Revenge, I think it's called. Mm-hmm. Oh, Seattle. Yeah, yeah. And um, I'm assuming that because that movie with Jessica Lange was so popular, as I'm sure it was for people in Seattle, he probably thought it was all you know, the real deal account yeah yeah there was
1: a long time where people would say so which camp are you in lobotomy or not lobotomy when you when you start talking about francis farmer it wasn't until william arnold in court said he tried to sue brookstone films because they didn't pay him for his book and he the judge said how do you know they used your book and he said because they put a lobotomy in there and i made that up it's not a smart thing to do (laughs) not Mm. a smart thing to say either but there it is
0: so you go from, from writing all this music and eventually, you know, you're talking to the nephew and now you're getting all this extra stuff. You, you, you have this fleshed out. When does this become, okay, Kristen, we need to make this happen. We're probably going to have to go to New York or is that what happened?
1: Go to, go to the next level as it were. Yeah. What happened was um, after that political season, I was talking to my agent and, um, and I was with Paradigm at the time. And um, I was talking to him about the political season. I said, well, you know, it wasn't really the busiest political season ever. I mean, I wrote a musical in my downtime. And he said, I'm sorry, did you, did you say you wrote a musical? <laughs> I said, yeah. He said, well, that's not like sketching a pond, Lance. Send it to me. That's a direct quote. I'll never forget that he said that. So I sent it to him, not sure why a voiceover agent would want my play musical, which I'd never written one before, ever, so I sent it to him, and then about a month later, he calls me up and says, can I pass this over to the theatrical theatrical literary department, and I said, sure, and about four months later, he calls me back, and he says, sit down, I got notes, so I sat down, and he gave me about five pages of notes that I just kept writing all the things they didn't like about it, and then after it was over, I said to him, well, they clearly don't like it very much but I'm going to call this a win. You know, I'm just going to, and he said, listen, dude, I've been here for 11 years. I've given these guys probably 30 scripts since I've been here and they have never said anything to me, but tell them, thank you. We're going to pass. So this is the very first time this has ever happened. This is a major win. So I was like, all right, well, I'll make the changes and send it along. So I did. And, um, then a long time went by, and I didn't know what was going to happen until finally one of the people said, okay, um, I think they're going to pass. I just think they're going to pass. My They hadn't said that to him, but that's what my agent said, and I said, that's fine. If they're not excited about it and they're not talking to me, I should go find somebody who is. So I'll do some, I don't know anything about theatrical literary agents, so I'll go do a little homework and find somebody else. It's fine. So I went away, did the homework then for the first time and found out that CAA is the number one literary theatrical agency in the country and Paradigm is two. So when I found that out, I said, I called my agent and I said, maybe I quit early. (laughs) Can you introduce me to these guys? And so he sent me up a meeting for that following Friday. And I went in there and talked to him for about two hours. And when it was over, he said, I've had a lot of people on this sofa, but I'm very excited about this project. We're going to go look at the changes you sent, which he hadn't even looked at, and um, you go get the life rights, which is when I called David Farmer. David, eventually, you know, he's a lawyer as well, so he eventually put together that he said, you know, he would give us the rights and anything else we might need from him, as far as that was concerned. And I sent that all to my agent and they said, okay, let's go. And they started introducing me to Broadway directors and they started talking to me about the project. And from day one, Isaac, it was pretty much music's very good. The Music's just what it ought to be for a contemporary musical coming out now. The book needs a lot of work. The book is, you know, and, and, and I'd sit down with these directors and they would tell me directly what the problem, you know, you've got, I opened with the scene where they're fighting in the kitchen, Lillian and Francis. And he said, we're not going to feel sad about a bad relationship if we don't see it good first, you know, it's gotta be. So those kind of things then started coming uh, from people. And I did many, many drafts and I was up to, I think 20 COVID happened and everything stopped nothing was going on and really nothing was happening for any any of us you know because actors don't do much without getting together with other actors and that's hard if you've got a thing spreading so even though voiceover could still happen it didn't anyway the long and the short of it is uh, a friend of mine who was a choreographer that i knew years and years ago a long time ago um, she sent me uh she knew that i'd written a musical and she sent me Ken Davenport's theater makers group and said this these get, people keep bothering me you got to play, maybe this is good for you, so I started doing that and. Um, that move things started moving pretty fast after that um, I got invited into the inner circle at the end of 2020 in January of 2021 they asked me if I wanted to do a zoom and that's when I met Jerry and all the people who did the zoom and. Um, and that Zoom sort of set a lot of things in motion. And suddenly I was interviewing at the th- Players Theater about, and I had done another draft before the Zoom, and then I did another draft after the Zoom for the Players Theater version. Um,
0: and that brings us to where we are now. How many people from the Zoom are now in this production?
1: Only... Lily, Jerry Sager, who plays Lillian, and Gabriel Kane who played Odette's.
0: And is Gabriel your son? Yes. Okay. It was pretty clear that this was a family affair as far as...
1: um... Yes, yes. Once, you know, because Kristen and I had written all those songs that were in the envelope. So those were all co-written. And then when the book came, I just tried to pepper them where they, you know, I knew what songs I had and tried to put them in there. Many got pushed out altogether, and then we would need something here, and we would, you know, and Gabe was home at one point during all of that. Gabriel was home, and he um, had learned something that sounded almost dirge-like from a musician friend of his at school, and he had learned the same, I don't have to be a piano player to play piano thing. Well, he went even further. He's much better than I am, and um, he started playing that music, because I said, there's a whole Clifford Odette's Francis thing that's just too, too intense and too serious for me to find a way to break into song. So he started playing this dirgy kind of thing. And Kristen was apparently in another room in the house and heard it, which she's famous for. She does this all the time. You'll be working on something, think you're all alone, but she's hearing it. And then she'll come in the room and go, here's what I got for that, you know, and start reading you the lyrics and singing it, you know. So that's what she did with Oh My Goddess. And, um, and that really brought a song into the odette's storyline which and then once we sort of found where that sat that's where we were able to sort of keep that from being a big because when i finished the book it was a big hole with no no songs there's a lot like a mini drama of just all of that
0: yeah um i i will add that inri and i um we were you know the players theater has a de facto meeting spot, which is just outside the bathroom, because everybody's always waiting. And, right, right. and I was saying, this is so unlike a lot of musicals, where if you take out the music, this is actually a really good drama. I'm used to a lot of fluff. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, let's just get on to the song. And, and that's not the case with this one.
1: Well, what I did when I wrote the book was wrote, a, wrote you know, literally a, t- a two-act play. Full length to act play, and then I put in all the music. I didn't know that until we did the reading, and it was three and a half hours long. That okay, I
0: wrote too much. The reading <laughs> so on it, Zoom was
1: no, 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 no. The oh. very first reading, the sure. when we first sat down, it was a bunch of family members and some friends, and they came over and we read it, and just went on and on. And finally it was like, okay, I got way too much here.
0: But that's that's what yeah, you want good. to you want to have happen, right? You want too right. much so
1: stuff. Pull out, just keep pulling out until only the very best is
0: Yeah, best going into the zoom. So, because Gabe is obviously with being your son, he's obviously a musician. He's got a beautiful voice. Um, and Jerry just steals the show almost as Lillian. I would love to get Jerry's perspective on this production as a zoom, as opposed to what it's evolved into um, Jerry, what's been, what's been your perspective as far as like the changes uh, has your character been tweaked Has it have a lot of characters been tweaked is the story more succinct now what what are your thoughts on that
2: um i think it's more succinct i mean i think um i think lance is a really good writer um when he approached me with a project or it was through a friend who said hey it was, sounded very casual." At the time, you know, hey, friends doing this reading. And I was like, oh, please, I'm so, you know, bored. I'm not doing anything. Um, it was during the pandemic. And so um, he said, well, if you're interested, here is, and he gave me Kristen's um, email. And I wrote and I said, my name is Jerry Sager. This is my website. Um, our mutual friend Robert said, you might need me, blah, blah, blah. And so they called and, and they sent me the script and, and the music. And, you know, I listened to part of one song and I went, okay. And then I read the script. And when Lance called me, I said to him, this, this story is so compelling. And he said, that's, that's funny because usually everybody talks about the music.
1: Right, exactly.
2: And I was like, oh, well, yeah, but this story. See, I, I'm a weird musical theater person, I guess, because I just, I loved the story so much there were some things cut some extra stuff that was cut um and now even through rehearsal I'm seeing just this constant let's get to the point let's get to the point I mean and it's become so real so that's exactly what they would say that's exactly what they would do so it's just it's just it's become this phenomenal script play um and it's kind of, as I can't remember who mentioned it, but um, I guess you did, Isaac. It's wow to be like, you know, you, you really wouldn't have to sing. You know, you could just do the show. Um, that's pretty awesome because the music is awesome. Right. I, mean, I, I keep I'm sounding like I'm saying, man, the music. And that's not true at all. The music is awesome. So, wow. I mean, how many how many amazing shows have failed because the book? A lot. <laughs> um, so I just see this as, as the growth that's happened, just that when I've been part of it, is, it has been in such a great direction and just really, um, you know, I keep using the word hone, but that's, you're sharpening it.
1: Um, yeah. It's, Eric, it's, Eric Webb is the uh, dramaturg at, um, at, at Theater Makers, and he, he, he was really really helpful because he would talk about things like you know i'll never forget that that there's one scene with nicholson and freighter where you know she basically nicholson says i don't think she's insane and and he said i need this page right here of this scene it was probably eight pages long that scene and he said i need this page and that's all i need from this scene is this page so now it's like three or four because I put a little front and a little back on it but I mean once I did that it was like I'll be damned that's (laughs) way better that's I mean he cut you remember how Wayne was all embarrassed Jerry about you know I you know I'm not I don't appreciate your tone remember all that stuff was going on you're making it sound like you know all that was gone all that's gone now it's just right at the heart of what it needs to be and so he's been very very helpful about that and every step along the way is Honed it a little more, tightened it.
2: I was really blown away with the talent that was attracted to this this play, to this musical. Um, I'm just having a blast having Francis in front of me because it was so hard to do the scenes that we do and to really um, get across, you know, the love and the conflict and the, the frustration and the love and the, you know, and the love and the, you know, it just was really hard to do on zoom. And so, um, I think Bethany's, uh, amazing. And she brings a real, um, fragile strength to the role that, um, I hadn't, I hadn't, um, been aware could be found. Um, and, um, I think we, I'm just, I'm having such a good time because she's really the only person I really interact with. Um, and I just, I, I'm just, you know, I'm in heaven. <laughs> I, can't, I have nothing else to say. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, I, I absolutely agree. You, like, you're, you're blowing everybody's mind and Bethany is a phenomenal performer, period, but, but she's a phenomenal Francis. I, and the two of you together have just magical chemistry with your characters, and there's a lot of that in this cast. I'm seeing a lot of really amazing chemistry, which you know, as an actor, you 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 have to sometimes just create it because you don't know what you're, who you're mixing it up with. And but if you're a competent actor with another competent actor, you can find that. And there's so much of that. There are so many productions that I've been in. Where you'll have these little moments where the, you know, the cast needs levity or something, where it turns into a giggle fest for a couple minutes until people get back. You know, someone has to rope them in, wrangle them. I've never experienced that in this production yet. It seems the focus has been amazing.
1: You can feel the dedication in the room to this. To this project with everyone on it, and and one of the things that I think made the stumble through so amazing was the incredible amount of work that everybody did to get to get ready for it. So when that thing happened, as I said after the the run, a lot of times you can't even see the play in the first stumble through, you know. And this is this is like tweak some things up. This is the that's it. That's what we're trying to do. That was it was just great. Everybody really brought themselves to it in a wonderful way. And I also have to mention that Jerry and and Caroline Bowman played the, the the Francis in the Zoom, and he's looking at her like, how do I don't know that name? She she's um, doing the lead in the national tour of Frozen right now. Oh, okay. Um, she's Also been in Avita, She's been in Kinky Boots. She's been in uh, Wicked. She's been you know she's had quite a career, and. The first thing that Jerry and Caroline said after they watched the Zoom when it was over and the talk back afterwards was, if I had known you were doing that, I would, I would have done it differently because, I mean, they were looking at their monitors, you know, really just, you know, reading the play and singing the, the through the part. And, and then we just put it all together anyway. And so they didn't really see. So this is really, it's, it's great for her to be able to play right opposite somebody and get all that feedback and see what they're doing. Cause then it just crackles.
0: Well, regarding, you know, big names, um, Ken Davenport is certainly a major player in New York and uh, Absolutely. the other big name though, um, is JK Simmons. What did he, you, you sent him a draft or something?
1: Yeah. yeah um, Kim is what we called him here in New York. I did okay. several shows with Kim uh, back when, before he, before he became a big, name and and he he kind of snuck up on us as far as that's concerned you know i saw him in oz really early on a long time ago and i'm like wow that's a really mean guy he's playing and he's not in the mean guy he's the nicest human being i've ever known really sweet guy and he would always take my apartment when i went out of town to do something he would always take the sublet and one time i came home in the middle of a sublet and it looked exactly the same except there's this blue alarm clock i didn't recognize and when i saw him i said are you staying here and he's like yeah and I said, well, it looks the same as it did when I left. He said, what's your apartment, man? I'm not going to mess with it. <laughs> he's just great. He's great. Anyway, um, I started seeing him and stuff all over the place. And, you know, suddenly he's just in everything. And then, you know, Whiplash came along and that was like, wow. So I think, you know, I said, he's not going to win all these awards, but I'm going to vote for him and for the SAG Awards. And he won them all and um, it was awesome, and a friend of mine, Wayne actually, Wayne Duvall, who played Zucker in the Zoom, said to me, you should contact, aren't you friends with J.K. Simmons? I said, yeah, he said, well, there was an interviewer recently who called me J.K. Simmons light, (laughs) so he said, why don't you ask J.K. if he'll do Zucker, you know, and that could really be good for your play, and if not, you could always get J.K. light, so... So that's how it went. I asked him and he said, yeah, um, I think it's fantastic. And he gave me a great review of it. And he said, you know, you're going to make some talented actress, singer, very famous. Um, It's going to be quite, quite the show. But I'm looking more for something that's about an old fart, you know, like South Pacific or, you know. So he was like, you know, something like that's what I'm looking for to get to get to come to leave Los Angeles and come to New York and do Broadway. But, you know, I wish you the best with it. And then I got Wayne.
0: What was the casting process like for you for this? Um,
1: It was affirming at the same time as terrifying, because as I said, I was afraid that I was going to get it wrong. And um, and that's always I'm always nervous. I'm, I'm more nervous when I'm directing and not really auditioning then, because it's not my fault if, if you if you don't cast me and it's the wrong decision, and it's not my fault if you cast me, it's the wrong decision, you know, if I'm an actor, but it is my fault if I, you know. So I was trying to figure out, you know, what how, how, every, how everybody fit together, but so many people were on fire so early on about this project, really early. I mean, over a hundred people auditioned from a backstage thing that I did just before Uh, Thanksgiving I sent out a backstage thing and then all these people came flooding in and then I'm trying to process all these video things these video auditions and I guess I had about 10 Francis's and we were going to come in and audition right after Christmas, you know, the first week of January, but everything surged COVID wise, so we had to um, postpone. And when I told Ken, because we have weekly meetings when you're in the inner circle, they have, every Wednesday you have a two o'clock, like you ask him questions and he answers everybody's questions, whatever it is. And um, so in that situation, I told him what was going on. And he said, while you're on pause, there's those people that you're not sure about that you just want the opinion of the choreographer and the music director. So sit down with them during this time and try to cut it in half the people that you're calling back, so you're not wasting their time and you're not wasting your time. So I thought that was really good advice. I sent it to Bobby and Evan. They loved being involved like in in prior to the callbacks in that. And we cut it down to the people that we wanted to see. And I told everybody, we're postponing it. We are going to cut down the people who are called back. So if you don't hear from us, you probably are not going to come to the second, this end of the month callback. So, around the end of the month, about a week before the auditions, I get a call from two of the Francis's who didn't get called back. And they said, uh, uh, Did I miss the, what's going on? And I told them what I did when I postponed it, if you'll recall, was I sent the soundtrack. You know, you guys can all listen to the soundtrack in the meantime, because nobody that hadn't been shared with anybody. So, the two Francis's who called me up said, Am I getting called back? And I said, No, it turns out that, you know, there were a bunch of people for Francis and we cut it pretty much in half and you're not coming in. And and both of them said, I'll take anything in this part. I'll do ensemble. Let me just, I I just want to be a part of this. And that was, I I can't tell you what that meant for me, you know, and how, and that's what this has all felt like ever since. All the people who did come to it are just passionate about this story and it's, it's, really feel very fortunate, very lucky.
0: Yeah, I, I think we all do. And um yeah. and I'm sure that, you know, this really the Francis character in this thing that you've written is such um, you know, just a career maker. It, it, anybody that sees Bethany in this role, how are they not going to walk away just, oh my, I want her <laughs> for this and I want her <laughs> for that. Because yeah. She's, yeah. she's fantastic. She's she's a true triple threat. Um, mm-hmm. And very frequently you see people that are very good at dancing and or singing, um, or, you know, two of the three right and Bethany's got everything she's just on fire and, and her accent is perfect It's you know there's no and that's frequently the case to be to be fair that people that are British can pull off our accents, much more deftly than we're able to do theirs. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they just have a longer history of doing that. I don't know. But uh, anyway, she is, she is phenomenal, but I want to go back to this being a family affair because we do have so many people on from, from the family, from the Are family. Has this just been like a giant roller coaster ride for you of <laughs>
1: <laughs> Sorry. Oh gosh. <laughs> you,
0: yes.
3: <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I do a lot of things. I'm a very creative person. Um, I would have to say I'm not the biggest I dotter and t-crosser in my family. That would be Leah (laughs) and uh, and also Lindsay. But um, I got kind of thrown into the producer aspect of it as soon as Lance had to become the director aspect of the project. So um, it's been a very interesting ride learning. Um, I always wondered what a producer did So basically what I've learned is that uh, a producer does everything that nobody else wants to do. (laughs) I mean, really, it's a lot of stuff, but I've had a really growth period during this thing. And, you know, I'm working with people that I love and I know for the most part, because I'm working with Lindsay and Leah on the marketing team. Um, And, you know, we all get along very, very well together and um, they're they're amazing and they they do so much more than I know even how to do. So they're really running this thing and I'm just like kind of, you know, making sure all the little connections are connected for everybody and uh, reminding people of things. And it's just been a crazy time, but a lovely time. I was so over the moon yesterday when I talked to Lance briefly about the stumble through of the first act. And I also heard that several people were in tears um, throughout watching. And I won't say who said this, Jerry, (laughs) but after above all, um, they looked around and, and everybody's jaw was on the floor. (laughs)
0: I will affirm that yes we were all witnessing something yeah
3: and I have to tell you I was I was supposed to be Lillian I've been Lillian until Jerry took over Lillian for me thank God you did (laughs) I could have acted the hell out of her but I you know I'm a I'm more of a pop singer and I just I I could have done it but I never would have felt it would have been the Lillian that I wanted Lillian to be and you are that you are that for me and you are for that that for all of us so Thank I'm you. so glad we found you by our friend Bob my god how crazy is that right but the um, feeling connections that you found me
2: too because this is it's a dream to, to do this role to create this role and to um and, you know, thank you for the legacy. Thank you for <laughs> giving her uh, to me, but, <laughs> but thank you. I, I was in tears during the song, as you can attest, the ones that were there, I, I didn't really get through it all because it just really hit me.
0: Oh, You know, it's very clear that you have to anybody that comes to see the show, uh, uh, let alone those of us in the cast, that you have a, a wealth of experience. Um, because you're just you're just blowing us away with everything you're doing. Uh,
1: well, yeah. let me just share, uh, if I could, the, the very briefly, our side of, 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 the, of finding Jerry. Um, Bob told us about three people who might be able to do it. And Kristen immediately looked them up as she does on the laptop and started playing them doing things. And I was doing something in another room and she started playing Jerry. And I said, we ain't going to get her. <laughs> That's what I said. There's no way we're gonna get her, <laughs> not with that voice. And, uh, said, and then, said, like three days later, there she was in the in the, in the in the email saying, "I'm yeah." Bob Marshall tells me you got a, you got a thing, a, a musical. I'm interested. And we were like, "What?"
2: I think I I think I wrote this to you, Lance. After we worked on uh, recently here worked on um, a ball All. and I said, "Thank you so much." This is, what did I say? This is like the wa- the palm trees and the water in my... In,
1: in my creative desert, this is palm trees and water. Oh Yeah.
2: You know, I never got to create a role. I never, you know, was the first. And I and I always want that. And it's like, hey, Jerry, uh, friends of mine that I know from Baltimore are doing this show. They could be interested. And I'm like, oh, I guess. <laughs> and now I'm like, yay!
0: Leah, so you, you're an artist that also has a head for marketing I mean how did this whole how did your participation in this come about aside from the fact that you were a go-to for Lance and Kristen
4: yeah so um, I'm only focusing on the social media marketing um, specifically Facebook and Instagram Um, and I am very familiar with TikTok but currently since I have a full-time job I just have not been able to take that on because I know how time consuming that is Um, but really I, you know, I'm a visual artist. I've been like slowly building my knowledge base, I guess, on how to market myself as a professional artist on that platform and on Facebook as well. And like, at first I really didn't know that much. I just knew that you should be posting regularly. And, um, in this time after I graduated from grad school, which was 2017, Uh, And really now or last year, um, I was really kind of hardcore going for it um, in terms of full-time visual artisting. And also I was adjunct teaching at the time. So I had a lot of flexibility and I was working in my studio a lot, making a lot of content, um, video. And, And also actually, I should say that the pandemic really pushed me into it more because I started learning how to use video more adeptly, I guess, to show what I was working on. Uh, Because I had to do that for my students as well. Um, So I started making these videos. I made a TikTok. And I started really pushing my Instagram marketing. And so I just learned a lot. I I just taught myself everything that I could learn on the internet. uh, Took some workshops. And just read a lot. um, And looked a lot at a lot of visual artists' social medias to try to figure out how to do this best. So I've been just trying to bring whatever I have to it. Um, And, you know, I think that was a hole that needed to be filled that I just kind of was like, I'm going to do this because it needs to happen. We need to have a social media presence. So like, I'm going to, I'm going to do that. And that's what I can contribute. So, so yeah, it's been a really exciting um, opportunity to be a part of it because, you know, I've watched my dad and my mom and my brother working on this for years and years and how it's all been built. And it's really special to kind of, be watching. I mean, from afar, you know, I I just keep hearing how amazing things are going in uh, rehearsals, but I'm super excited to see it come to life.
0: The correlation between Francis Farmer and Britney Spears that I'm, I'm hearing so much could you spell that out? Again, it feels
1: like the universe is saying it's time for brilliance. And suddenly everybody's shouting free Britney, free Britney. And I didn't even know what that meant for the longest time. And then I get on my Facebook, a, th- a picture of Francis Farmer on either side of Britney down in the center. And it said, Britney's the modern day Francis Farmer. And I didn't, I didn't post that. So I'm thinking I need to know more about this because wow. Um, so I reposted it. And then I started looking into it. And it turns out that she's had a conservatorship uh which is the closest thing to what happened to francis as far as her mother being in charge of taking care of her she has no rights mom says you know she did not was not allowed to grow up um amanda Bynes has had the same thing and uh, demi lovato has also had the same thing and it turns out when i the more the more i looked into it the more i found out and it And 1.3 million Americans is under a conservatorship right now. So we've got a broken mental health system right now that is very similar to what's going on in this story. So if it becomes a very successful musical, it may hopefully change the, the mental health industry for the better, is my hope. And that'll be a worldwide thing i mean that'll be huge also they they claimed i'm sure because of the pandemic in october of 2021 the children's mental health was in a crisis that was a f- official claim just just months ago i went to the theater maker summit the keynote speaker was sir andrew lloyd webber And in a lovely English accent, he talked about all the things that make a musical and then went into quite great detail about the fact that what's going on in the world and how your musical connects to what's going on in the world is a big player in how successful it is. And you have no control over that, he said. Because if eight years or ten years ago you said this is what the world needs, by the time you get it to Broadway, everything's changed, you know? So really what you're looking for, he said, is sheer luck in that particular scenario and that's what we've got happening for this show i think right now and i think that's worth
0: seeing seeing through thank you all so much for the time and um and the passion and for allowing me to be a part of this world it's uh, delighted to have you on boarding
3: good morning. night
0: thank you so much bye
1: night,
4: thank you